Welcome to ADHD Flourishing, about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real-life stories, and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here, and you belong. I'm your ADHD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. Welcome to my guest, Michael Ruffin, who I found on, actually, I think on threads first, and then, you know, that's connected to Instagram. Great ADHD content. And I was just, I, I can't even remember, I think maybe you had made a comment about wanting to be on podcasts. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, like this is a great fit. So that's how I yeah. found uh, Michael, whose pronouns are he or they. And is there anything you'd like to add about how you're thinking about yourself in the world right now? Yeah, um, I am a ADHD advocate, educator. I'm a coach. I build a community around uh, neurodivergency as a whole and just kind of, you know, just thrust my whole career and just what I enjoy doing is like helping people. Uh, learn about themselves and become better. Awesome. And one of the uh, big kind of topics that we had started to touch on is, and I've experienced this as well, that with getting diagnosed, whether you do that officially or not, even self-diagnosis, that there is more stigma and less understanding on the autism side than the ADHD side. That has definitely been my experience as well. Can you talk a bit about what your experience has been with that? Yeah, um, I think it was an easier diagnosis for me to get diagnosed ADHD than it was autism and not because like I was afraid of being autistic or I thought being autistic was bad. It was just a lot of the things that come with it uh, is very overwhelming. There's a lot of stigma around it. And there was a lot of things that I was doing personally that I didn't realize I was doing until I got the assessment and I got the diagnosis and it. So it was a much bigger thing to process, uh, especially emotionally, because so many things make much more sense on a so- social aspect than I had previously known. And like why certain relationships didn't work, why certain friendships didn't work. I can attribute more to my autistic you know, needs over the ADHD. There's some mixture, um, but overall, like how I interact with people is much greatly affected with autism. And I think that was just a much bigger thing to process of like, oh, I have to rethink how I approach things and be more aware socially. Whereas ADHD was much more of like, how do I just function? How do I get things done? How do I, you know, be productive? There's some social aspects to it too, with like forgetting people exist. <laughs> but uh, on the autism, it's like literally just talking to people. I, you know, I tend to dominate conversations, um, which I didn't realize I was doing, you know, and I didn't realize that, like, yeah, if there was a topic that was being discussed and I had nothing to do about, like, if I didn't know anything about it, I didn't participate as much, or I would try to drive the conversation to something that I did know. And like, I, never really was aware that I was doing that until I was made aware. It 
kind of stung a bit. It was a little bit hard to swallow. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point that a lot of the way that we talk about and perceive ADHD in people is more about just practical kind of day to day, you know, like executive functioning, even though mm -hmm. it is pervasive, it is your whole brain, it is neurodevelopmental, and it does affect your personality. At the same time, I feel like it's not necessarily visible in the same way that people can clock an autistic person, you know, within three seconds with no audio, right? Like people, neurotypical people can see that autistic people are different very quickly. And so I think it's kind of ironic that we often refer to it as an invisible disability because people can literally tell a lot of the time, even if they don't know what it is, they know that, you know, we're a little bit off or we're pinging something in their brain that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the science backs that up where they've done an experiment on uh, social interactions between autistic people and holistic or non-autistic people. And um, it was found that the holistic people would see those that were autistic to be less approachable and not, you know, as welcoming and difficult to communicate with. And I think that's a very big need to understand that Autistic people do communicate differently. Um, it's much more without subtext. You know, instead of, you know, a lot of people will see it as, oh, I'm just being blunt or direct. It's more nuanced than that because I like to see it as it's without subtext. We don't have any hidden meaning behind the things that we are saying. So it feels like it's direct, of course, but like if you understand the bigger picture, you can kind of help yourself a little bit when learning to communicate and learning where there might be a miscommunication um, because holistic people and ADHD people can be holistic. So that's another aspect of why, you know, only being ADHD is still very different, even if it is a neurodivergent um, experience is because their communication style can be very similar to a neurotypical. Um, so there can still be a disconnect even with other neurodivergent people. Um, and if someone is communicating with subtext and you're communicating without subtext, um, there's going to be a difficulty. And understanding that honestly has helped me communicate and connect with people on a much wider variety than I did before. And it really helps kind of remove this distaste or disdain towards holistic people. Uh, I see that a lot on social media as a content creator where a lot of people are just so frustrated and they have their right to be, you know, especially if their personal experience with non-autistic people is, you know, difficult. You know, we often are on the receiving end of a lot of terrible things and that's completely valid. But you know, I'm trying to build as many bridges between people as possible and understanding how we communicate and how we can connect with others is much more important, um, especially to healing our own wounds. Oh my God. I would love to dive into several things that you just said. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, what you, the last thing you just said about it, it being healing to us, I think is a really fascinating vein of conversation because I think a lot of when, when people start to realize, you know, as you've said, like starting to realize 
what I'm doing, right? Like, or noticing, maybe looking at what I'm doing through a different frame and realizing, oh, I'm doing these things autistically or, you know, in an ADHD or ADHD way. Like this is, this is how my brain is functioning. I think at first there is a huge layer of it just feeling like more work. You know, even if you don't have skill regression or burnout or anything, even if it's just the realization and kind of like notice, starting to notice those mismatches of communication, it can feel like you're having to work really hard to communicate with other people. And I think that part of what's probably part of where that frustration is coming from for people is like, I've been trying so fucking hard for so long and I don't feel like holistic people are making the same effort or meeting me in the same place a lot of the time. So I'm really curious to hear how that sort of became uh, an area that could be personally healing for you or if you experienced that frustration at all, like what that journey was like for you. Sorry, that was like a really big uh, <laughs> question. No, um, it it's multiple steps. You know, it's not it's not going to be an overnight thing. You're not going to be able to, you know, really get through all the difficulty around communicating with holistic people just by understanding the differences in communication. Because you're absolutely right. You know, we often have to put in a lot of work just to function, just to exist, and adding more work to understanding how we communicate and how we interact with people. It, it can be exhausting and overwhelming. And I think part of that whole thing is also learning boundaries, learning that, you know, what your limitations are and what you are capable of in that moment of, you know, putting on your own shoulders of, do I have the energy to try to build that bridge? Or do I just need to chalk it up as, you know, we communicate differently and it's just not going to be you know, a connection that I was hoping for and move on. I think the biggest aspect of is to not have resentment or hatred or frustration, like anger towards people that have that different communication style, because that kind of festers within ourselves, you know, where we start seeing holistic people as the bad guys. And that's not really what I want people to to see other people as because we just communicate differently they communicate differently and to expect them to communicate the same way as us is essentially them expecting us to communicate the same way as them and that's just not going to work we don't want to do the same thing to them as they do to us doesn't mean we have to accept their behavior towards us doesn't mean that we have to you know welcome them in with open arms and to forgive them of anything that they do that is you know harmful but it does kind of help understand that like maybe i don't need to be angry i just need to accept that this difference is a hurdle and that it's okay that there is this difference and to let go of that frustration uh, you know and you know, do what's best for you. You know, um, I'm not saying, hey, go out and make a bunch of holistic friends, but like, <laughs> you know, uh, it's just more of like, don't be so hostile, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the things I kind of jotted down as I was curious to hear what you are noticing or experiencing as a sort of 
public person on the topic of neurodivergence, right? Like you've got a lot of stuff out there, various ways of communicating with or connecting with people. And yeah, I'm I'm really curious what you're seeing from your little slice of the internet. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fairly decently sized content creator. Like I'm have over a hundred thousand followers on TikTok, have close to forty thousand on Facebook, about fifteen thousand on Instagram. And so like across all of these social media platforms. Um, I see a lot of hurt people, you know, their experiences are hundred percent valid. And again, you know, that's why I like, I'm, I understand why they are frustrated. I understand why they may, you know, be so angry towards holistic people because the holistic people in their direct experience has not been great. And that's a very common experience, especially with autistic people. And it's, it can be very, very difficult and frustrating. And that's why like, yeah, like if you need to step away from trying to build relationships with holistic people, because they don't put in the work to understand you the same way that you understand them, that's, that's perfectly fine. You know, and that's where like building the boundaries is very important to us because, you know, it's understanding that a boundary is what we are going to do in a situation. Yeah, you know, we're not trying to control anyone else. We're not trying to change them. We're not going to even expect them to change their communication style. What we're going to do is like, we're going to try to build a connection. And if it doesn't work, we're going to remove ourselves from it. And we're just going to move on. And we're just going to leave it at that. Because I, I had that experience of holistic people not understanding me. I've had that experience of trying to explain myself and then just making that situation worse because they're not they don't want the explanation. They just want to be right or they want to have their own perception of what the situation is. You know, and I've I've had that situation where people assumed my intention when the, that was not the correct, you know, assessment. So it is frustrating. Um, but I don't blame them uh anymore. You know, like it's just like, ah, like they just didn't have the ability to understand me. You know. And that helps me like kind of let go of that frustration, you know, and right now I think there's just a lot of people processing all of that. Yeah, I would love to hear, I don't know if you have like a particular example or story, but even just in general, like how this process of letting go and not like, right, like you're saying the emotional experience of the upset makes sense, but kind of being able to step away and not, um, attach it to the person because I feel like this, this topic of sort of letting go, um, when I talk to autistic people about it, there's always a like, okay, but how, like, how do I let something go? <laughs> Especially if you have yeah. a brain that tends to ruminate. I'm just very curious, like how, how that process was for you of kind of actually being able to do that and like feel emotionally better. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get the, this saying hundred percent correct, but what I, I heard this through actually a TikTok, and I was already at a point of you know where I am now when I heard this, but it it I think is a great way to uh, put it into words. But like, don't attribute to malice what could be attributed to ignorance or incompetence, and that that's across the board. People that don't understand us, they're not intentionally being malicious. Now, people that make fun of us or degrade us or anything like, yeah, like 
fuck them. <laughs> you know, like those are the intentional. But like when there's a misunderstanding, a disconnect in communication, that is just a disconnect in communication. That is two communication styles battling to be understood. And that's not an intentional malicious thing. And so it's not not attaching that situation to the person but recognizing the situation itself of like oh we're just not understanding each other and i don't know if we will understand each other um because maybe you or them don't have the language to have that understanding you know and that's where we can learn to you know find a different language to communicate with people uh, sometimes it's just directly asking them like hey I see that there's a misunderstanding right now. What is your perception of this situation? Like, where are you coming from? And letting them explain to you what their perception is. And then you can be like, oh, you're seeing it completely different than I am. This is my perception. And then working together to try to figure out to come together and like understand each other. That's a lot of work, you know, and it can be exhausting, but I think if you truly want a connection with someone, if you truly care about someone, it's worth it. Um, but again, boundaries. <laughs> you know, I'm, I always reiterate boundaries are so important to us. And that's something that we really struggle with as ADHD and autistic people is because our boundaries are often breached. So that's why it's like a multifaceted process. Yeah. And then, like you said, if that person's not meeting you, you know, halfway or a quarter of the way or temperate, right? If they're not making any effort to kind of meet you where you're at, or, you know, at least explain where they're at, then you can just kind of walk away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, and sometimes that can be difficult to do and scary to do to, you know, take care of yourself and remove yourself from a situation. Uh, because we feel like we have to keep everyone happy, you know, the whole people pleasing and all of that. Like, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. And, you know, uh, I think just understanding can lead to healing in general. Yeah. And then I know you've built various community spaces for neurodivergent people. So I imagine a lot of your social interactions at this point are with other neurodivergent people is that correct that like a large part of your sort of social life is that yeah i mean i have a discord community of over 300 people that every single one of us are some form of neurodivergence from tourette's adhd autistic um so a lot of my social interaction is with other neurodivergent people um but it doesn't say mean that i don't have holistic friends as well one of my really you know best friend like is holistic and so there's sometimes a disconnect, but it's not painful. Like we, we can work through things and we understand each other. And like, I, I do give him credit because he has uh, a lot more patience than some holistic people that I've come across. And I think that has to do with, you know, some of his own personal experience in life, you know, and I have family members that are, you know, holistic as well. And understanding like what relationships look like to, and I think that's another aspect of like building healthy connections is understanding like what does this actual um, relationship going to look like? Yeah. Yeah. And it can be 
hard in my experience to even, I mean, especially kind of closer to the beginning of this journey or when you're, you know, going through the various cyclical rounds of figuring out what your boundaries need to be. I think it can be hard to even imagine what a really healthy connection can look like in certain contexts, just because like you said, our boundaries have so often been breached or, you know, we're so used to not having our needs met. This is something I think about a lot. Um, and actually maybe this is a good transition to talk about your ADHD peer support group, because that type of space, like I think about that so much that we need so much more of that, right? Not a explicit teaching or fixing, not like we're here to, you know, meet some big goal, but this like peer support, this is what our real lives are like. This is the social support that we need. Like we need so much more of that. So I would love to hear about how you started that, you know, what the purpose is, what that space is like. Yeah. Um, it kind of started, um, through Chad, uh, which if if you're not familiar with Chad, it is a big national ADHD nonprofit organization. Uh, when I was living in uh, Orange County, uh, I got connected with them and I started to attend some of their peer groups and saw what they were doing. And uh, when I moved back to Kentucky, um, there was nothing in this area like that. Um, I, I even I looked and there was absolutely nothing <laughs> for anything ADHD or autism autism and I was like well I might as well just start my own and I did that like I just kind of jumped into it um especially with my social media platform I just said like hey, this is a thing that we're going to do we're going to have it on this day at this time and we are over a little over two months in um uh, almost three months and we consistently have 30 people show up um yeah we have over 300 about 340 350 people like in the meetup group that i have registered you know for registration and you know it's going really well um and yeah like it's, it's a space where people can talk about their experiences and we can help each other out with you know neurodivergent practical things and we can address some of the difficult conversations of like our own internalized ableism. Um, that's a huge conversation um, because a lot of people, even though they're diagnosed or going through that self-diagnosis journey, are still very ableist in their own way, you know, because yeah. that's what we're taught, you know, with our experiences in life. And we have to address that, you, yeah. know? you know, and everything is connected, you know, our, our ableism can affect our perception of other people. So if we are ableist towards ourselves, that can be projected um, and that can affect our ability to connect with others and be more accepting of other people and being forgiving of, you know, some of the less malicious things of, of, that people do, you know, because again, you know, I truly believe that most people are not intentionally malicious. Yeah. And we we definitely have to check ourselves a lot. You know, where are we reacting to things when we should be responding instead of reacting? And having that space allows us to explore those in a safe way to where we can support each other and let each other, you know, feel the things that we need to feel so we can 
legitimately heal so we can move through these really difficult things when it comes to being late diagnosed or just now learning about what your diagnosis means or self-diagnosing or whatever. Yeah. And part of that ableism, internalized ableism journey, again, like an onion, just continuing to find more layers is also a lot of us, especially if you're ADHD, I feel like you're fairly likely to have some of the overlapping, often comorbid physical conditions, right? Like I have mm -hmm. Miller-Danlos, um, I probably have POTS technically. Uh, <laughs> I have my symptoms from it a lot, are a lot less bad than they used to be. There's also mast cell is also common, um, again, in just these overlapping communities, especially autistic folks. But, you know, there's these various physical things that can come along with being especially multiply neurodivergent. And ableism comes up there as well, especially because a lot of the things I just listed are hard to get diagnosed, hard to get recognized. And it's pretty common for people to essentially have been telling you your whole life that you're either making it up or that, you know, in my case, that like my joint pain doesn't make sense. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. It does not make sense. Like I've had terrible joint pain since I was seven years old, right? Like this and, and just having it be difficult for people to take it seriously. Um, for me, that has been one of the kind of big layers with like self-discovery, figuring out, oh, there actually is a label for this set of things I'm experiencing. But then this, I don't know, this like long process of continuing to accept it after having been essentially gaslit my whole life and told like, these things don't matter or aren't really happening or, you know, your pain doesn't exist. Right. So this can be, you know, physical and psychological. And uh, yeah, anyway, that's just, uh, that's another thing I think about with the internalized ableism is like a lot of us also have physical things yeah. that we're working with as well. I think it's also just really difficult to have the confidence to be different. Mm. You know, we function differently. We interact with the world differently. Our experience is different. And we've been told throughout our lives that we need to not be different. And that's where that ableism comes in. That's where we should be able to do this, or we should have this experience, or we should interact with people this way. And that is where ableism lives is within should, you yeah. know, um, and it's really hard. Yeah. When you've been gaslit for years, your entire life, you know, even to be confident in your difference of accepting that you're different and accepting that you can't be this way. And that's where a lot of people get lost. It was like, well, if I can't be this, then what do I do? How mm. do I function? How do I build relationships? And that's scary. And there's that fear of failing. There's the this overwhelming fear just in general of, well, if I can't do this, then what's the point in trying? And I think that's the saddest aspect that I see in a lot of people, especially in the social media aspect of like so many people, like I just stopped trying to make friends with other people or I just isolated myself or, you know, I just, I've had so many bad experiences that I don't see the point in trying anymore. And it's heartbreaking to see that. And I want to do as much as I can to change that, to help people live healthier lives because community 
is so important. You know, you can do a lot of healing by yourself, but you can only do so much. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I'm making this podcast and doing my public facing work. Like I'm pretty introverted. I'd be very happy for no one to ever perceive me at any time. (laughs) But, you know, like I, I understand that, you know, with what you're describing, a lot of what people, people are not seeing role models or sort of, I don't even, I don't even love that word, but just like, like seeing examples is a better word of, of people like them in a variety of ways who have figured some things out that work for them. And it's not about the big solution or having the perfect life, but just being able to get to this point, you know, it's why I have the word flourishing in the podcast. It's like, you know, not just subsistence level, you know, managing to take my meds and like, that's kind of my, you know, that's all I've got, right? Like, which, and I've been there and there's nothing wrong with being in that place if that's where you're at. And I want there to be these spaces and examples and, and people really being able to see like, oh, this is actually possible. And there's like, actual tools and steps and processes I can take to get there. It's not just a magical thing that I can't imagine for myself. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the approach that I have when it comes to coaching is kind of finding the formula to healing. And the most basic aspect of it is going from negative to positive. But the formula is remove the negative to find neutral, you know, and that that should be the first goal is let's remove the negative things that are affecting us so we can find neutral. We don't have to go immediately to positive. We don't have to immediately switch how we think. We don't have to immediately think differently. But we can work on that. We can, you know, slowly kind of find all these little voices in our head that were put by someone else, you know, because all our negative self-talk is not us. We're not, that's not our own voice. It may sound like it. Um, but it's other people and like, let's identify them. Let's slowly move them away from being so powerful. You know, let's, you know, pick one negative thought and, you know, quiet that one and then go to the next one and then the next one and get to a neutral state of where you feel at least better and then work on thinking more positive, then work on thinking, you know, having that hope, (laughs) having that you know, desire for things again, because, you know, when you are in a very low, dark place, it's laughable to think positively. Like, it's like you don't see that as even a possibility. So, you know, you have to go through the steps and it takes time. Me now compared to two years ago, even it's completely different person. And it's a lot of work. But uh, once you get through it, I think it's very much worth it. Yeah, you can have healthier connections with people. And when I say community, you know, you don't have to have a large community. Just have two or three people, you know, people that you can rely on and talk to and reach out and like have a, you know, deeper connection with. Yeah, I love that focus on neutral and getting to neutral because it is so much more realistic. And for me, I mean, when after, you know, a decade of being incredibly depressed and anxious from like roughly, I don't know, 16 to 26 or so, like getting to neutral felt incredible. Neutral yeah. felt amazing. Like, I, I mean, it felt so good compared to how shitty I'd been feeling that I was like, I could stop here. I don't need to be happy. Like neutral is great. Yeah. 
Cause yeah, when you've been in that space, like it's just, it's such a step up. Yeah. Like I, I don't even chase happiness. Like I don't seek happiness. I seek peace, you know, and that's, that's neutral. That's content. It's, you know, cause happy is another emotion that we feel and all emotions ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. You know, there are going to be days that you're going to still be sad. There are going to be days that you're happy. There are going to be days that you're mad, you know, and whatever and everything in between, you know, but if you can maintain your peace while you are sad and while you are happy, like that's the ultimate goal for me. Yeah, can that's you the say more goal. about what that means to you or like how that looks in your daily experience? I think it's like, even in my lowest moments, I know I'm still going to be okay that's maintaining my peace of like yeah today sucks maybe this week sucks and i'm feeling depressed and i have low energy but i know i'm going to be able to get through this and i know i'm going to be okay and it's going to get better and it's a lot easier for me to climb out of that than it has been in the past where you know in the past being in that you know depressive state there was no idea or thought that things are going to get better. It was, this is just how it is. Which is also part of the nature of depression is that when you're in it, it kind of feels like you've always been depressed and you always will be. And then when you're not, you're just like, oh, that was weird. (laughs) Yeah. It's not having it being so overwhelming and so dominating to our existence. So it's like Mm -hmm. accepting, you know, that, yeah, I'm depressed right now and I don't feel like doing anything and I have no motivation and anything I'm interested in yesterday is not interesting today. And that's frustrating. And it's all of that accepting that, yeah, this is my current state and this sucks. And it's, but like, it's okay to be here right now because this is what I'm feeling. And, and knowing that like you can get out of it because maybe yesterday you were out of it or two weeks ago you were out of it. And so it's recognizing that, oh, I've been better and I know I can be. Yeah. And if you're going from zero, like, and if you're starting from zero, it's again, you know, just slowly building your way up instead of immediately trying to be happy again, because that's unrealistic. Yeah. I have a, I don't know, metaphor, parallel example of in the last couple of months, I've been experiencing a lot more fatigue than I had for a long time. And I was just like, oh, right, this sucks so much. Like feeling like I can barely do stuff. Um, And it was largely physical. Like it was this very physical, like I could still do work. I could still use my brain, especially with, you know, medication supports. I could still do stuff, but my body was so tired. And in certain ways, I feel like physical limitations are easier to accept. And I don't know if that's a societal thing or just a, like, I can feel the physical limit when I'm up against it. It's like, okay, my, my body simply cannot do this thing or it is, or it would be severely damaging for me to push through and try to do this thing. Right. So that kind of physical limit. And I feel like in certain ways that has helped me accept the limitations that my brain has as well. Cause I'm like, oh, right. This kind of, when I feel like I'm up against this kind of wall, if I push through this on the other side of that is burnout risk, you yeah. know, as just one example of just knowing, okay, if I have done this before, I've pushed through this before and it was really bad. So I'm going to not do that. Yeah. I think part of it is the societal expectation 
between someone who is physically disabled and someone who is, you know, invisibly disabled, you know, because it's a lot, yeah, it's a lot no more noticeable to be physically disabled. There's a lot more awareness to a physical disability than there is something that is invisible. Um, and we, we have to do the work ourselves to recognize it. We have to ask ourselves questions. And when you're ADHD or autistic, you know, you struggle with interoception or alexithymia or, you know, and so even understanding your own body cues and what's going on internally. And so you may not even know why these things are difficult uh, because there's no cue that you're receiving. And so you have to ask yourself questions to find out. And that's a lot of work and it's exhausting. You know, one of my favorite questions to ask is, if I do this thing, is it going to negatively impact me? So if I say, yes, this is actually going to negatively impact me if I do this, I'm going to be wiped out, I'm going to be tired, I'm going to probably be burnt out, then it gives me permission to not do it. You know, but if I say no, then I get to explore, okay, what is the resistance to me doing this? What is stopping me? What need is not being met right now um, that's preventing me from doing this thing? You know, maybe I'm thirsty, maybe I'm hungry, maybe I'm just too tired, you know, and I need to take a nap or... Like maybe I just need to go outside and like relax for a little bit, you know, like you can start learning what your needs are. And I think it's a little bit more work to understand the invisible, dis invisible disability from our own perspective. Cause yeah, if you're fatigued, I'm just too tired. Like I'm fatigued. My, my body's sore, you know, you have immediate recognition of what it is, you know, and with ADHD or autism, like you kind of have to do some exploration. Yeah. Well, the other thing actually with that analogy with the body as well is that with the body, it gives you specific immediate feedback, right? If you have soreness yeah. in a muscle or if you're like, I can't do these stairs right now, I can't carry this thing right now, whatever it is, it's like really specific when your brain, it feels like it's just not working. It's, it's a general, right? It's like a film over everything. It's like it, it, <laughs> it occludes the things that might help you as well. Yeah. It's like a spin wheel. Like, what is it today that's you know making this difficult? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, uh, and it's yeah. frustrating. You know, yeah, like it really is. All, like all disability is frustrating, but you know, when you're dealing with something unknown, that is demoralizing. Yeah. You know? And yeah. you know, and and that's part of the healing is is accepting the frustration. Like, totally. you know. Because I, I used to get so frustrated and it would lead into like a shutdown or a meltdown or just, you know, it would just shut my entire day down or like for a week. But now, like when I get frustrated, like I just let it out, you know, and just be like, oh, this is frustrating and just like kind of take care of myself from there. You know, it's like, all right, yeah. I'm frustrated. Let's, let's move forward. Let's work with this. Let's do something that's not frustrating and then we come back to it. I love to do things in a grumpy manner. <laughs> I, feel <like> <laughs> I will like, you know, do things I don't want to do well, like stomping around and like letting my, basically letting my inner child kind of complain about it. Like, I don't want to be doing this. That's when I like have the physical energy and kind of like the activation energy. But like you said, like part of me still resisting it. It's like, this isn't going to harm me. I just don't want to do it because it's boring and I hate it. <laughs> Just yeah. a lot of regular life tasks. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, as a business owner, like, I hate administrative work. Mm -hmm. It's boring. It's mundane. It's stupid. Uh, I just want to do the work that I want to do without having to do all this tiny, boring details. And like, you know, I I will go to someone's like, I hate doing this. And, and some there are some days I just don't do it. And that's okay. You know, I, I eventually will do it. Yeah. And I think there's um, getting to the point where we understand that things aren't as dire as we make them out to be. Yes. Yeah, that a lot of things are not as important as our brain thinks that they are, both both in terms of I need to do this or like I can't do this. But a lot no. of those things either don't really need to get done and or, you know, aren't really, I don't know, aren't really that bad once we get into it a lot of the time. Yeah. But it's that activation part that's really hard because when a large part of you is going, oh, I don't want to do this thing, it's really hard to get started. Yeah, I think, you know, kind of what, you know, finding what is the resistance and sometimes it's like, what expectation are we trying to live up to that's not our own? Yeah, that's a really good question. Especially when it comes to doing chores around the house. You know, chores suck. We don't like them. We, You know, some there's some people, I've met them, you know, I dated someone that loved cleaning. It's like, more power to you. I don't, I hate it. You know, and so I like when I live by myself, like I have to understand like what expectation do I try to live up that's not my own. And that's allowed me to set my own expectations. It's allowed me to understand, okay, what level of messy is acceptable? Because it's my space, it's my home. I don't care what other people think about my space. And if they want to complain that my space is cluttered or disorganized, they can come in and help me clean. <laughs> uh, otherwise, they can shut up, <laughs> you know? And and so, like, is it sanitary? Is my health in danger? You know, if not, then I'm good. I'm I'm doing good. If there's dishes in the sink, I need to be clean, and they, they sit there for a few days, that's okay, you know? But, you know, if things start becoming you know, it's unsanitary and your health is in danger. Like, okay, that's where, you know, help might need to be brought in or uh, a different type of evaluation of yourself. Like what's really happening? Like what's, you know, there might be bigger issues at play. Yeah. I love that. And the, the kind of practical considerations of what do I need? What does my, you know, day-to-day -day life need to look like to support the rest of my life, et cetera. Cause right. Cause the point of chores is, just to support the rest of it. it's to help you live right like mm -hmm. <laughs> right so yeah i think all of the kind of internal conversation or questioning is so much easier when there's not that additional layer of ableism shame on top of it and yeah. there's outside voices that are saying this is you know what you need to be doing that's kind of like one of the key elements of really starting to thrive instead of survive really working on that internal world of ourselves that we create within ourselves and like what does that look like how can we improve that yeah so starting to wrap up i'm well first of all there's anything else you just kind of want to add that you feel like we haven't gotten to we have space for that but my specific question is you mentioned that you you know changed a lot in the last couple of years and i'm curious 
what you now would say to you two years ago, like what you wish someone had said to you or that you understood or kind of what you needed to hear at that time? Hmm. That's, that's an interesting question. There's a lot of different things. Um, but I think like the most important that like, that you'll get through everything that like, it's difficult right now and it sucks. You can be successful and not to have that fear because a lot, a lot of my fears was not necessarily a failure. It was the fear of success. Mm. So like that I am capable of being successful. Another big juicy topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so many. Yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, that's very much my experience as well that, you know, I did epic shit tons of trauma healing, <laughs> so much, so much therapy and that a lot of, I don't know, the journey of the last five years has been becoming more comfortable with good emotions and big, good emotions. Cause I'm very good with big, bad emotions. I have a lot of skills around those, but yeah, being doing well is not something that my brain has a lot of experience with and it yeah. can be overwhelming. So yeah, that's really another really big thing. Awesome. So where is the best way for people to find you online? How would you like people to seek you out if they want to connect? Uh, the best places to find me, um, Instagram, uh, TikTok, threads, Facebook, all under the same uh, moniker called ADH Druids. So I have Discord. I also have the peer support group, um, which the peer support group is uh, through Meetup. But if you go to any of my social media platforms, you can find the link to pretty much everything. So I'm all over the place. So awesome. And we will put all those links in the show notes. And then because I had asked the question, is there anything you want to share or say that you feel like we didn't get to that you're just like, I want people to hear this? Um, I mean, we covered a lot of things that are important. Um, you know, there's so many really big conversation pieces. Um, I, I'm afraid if I if I say anything, we'll be like talking another hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, I guess the most important is like it can get better. No matter where you are right now, it can get better. I love that. And that's I mean, a lot of what helped me stay alive as well was just that seeing other people like me saying that and knowing like, okay, this is possible. This is yeah. hard and it sucks. Like you said, it sucks right now, mm -hmm. but it can get better. And there are a lot of people who want to help and support you in that getting better because we are in a very similar journey. Yeah. Um, I think to kind of top that off too, is like, use whatever energy you have right now. So if right now you're angry, use that to keep going. I use spite, you know, my, my, you know, thing that kept me going was like, I didn't want to lose. So uh, use whatever energy you need to, to keep going. I love that. Just the big, the big middle finger floating through like. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. We will put all those links in the show notes and yeah, I'm really excited to share this with people. Uh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that sparked some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. 
If you'd like to go deeper, I invite you to click on the link in the show notes to join my newsletter, where I share more on these topics, point you to community resources, and share cute pictures of animals. I only send it when I have something meaningful to say. A friend put it well. With your newsletter, I feel like the predictability is in the quality, not the quantity, and it feels delightfully magical to have it pop up whenever it feels like it. Plus, you can respond directly to me, which I love. That link is in the show notes, or you can easily find it at my website, matiamarae.com, M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E.com. 